Today, Ali Talsa tells us his story of starting a TV network to spread the gospel to North Africa. I'm your host, Paul Horrocks, and this is the Biblical Courage Podcast. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. Visit biblicalcourage.com to learn more or sign up for our newsletter. I'm here with Ali Talsa. He's going to tell us a couple of incredible stories today. First, he's going to give us an overview of how he started a TV network to share the gospel with the people of North Africa. In addition, he's going to tell us about how he was arrested and miraculously released when he went home to visit his family. So, Ali, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Paul. So I want to have you start by giving us a short overview of the TV network ministry you helped build to reach people in North Africa. Yes, uh, that's a good uh, start for me because it has been a good adventure. Uh, It's been God's initiative. I have never had any idea that I would get involved in TV. But because North Africa is completely closed, there is not, nothing you could do to preach the gospel openly like uh, we do it in the West. But uh, God has given me this, uh, this vision of having a, a satellite TV where everybody uh, within their own uh, living room, they can uh, hear the gospel and they can watch uh, people testifying about the goodness of God and uh, see what uh, Jesus has done uh, for them. Portraying all the stories in the Bible in their own language has been an an inspiring moment for them. And people start to see that uh, it's possible for them to embrace Christianity, although it is very difficult for them to make the step. But they did manage to, most of them, did manage to get to, uh, to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I want to go back to the beginning and really hear your journey on how you got here. So let's start from the very beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Algeria in one of the regions called the Kabila region, where most of them, we call them the Berbers. They live on the top of the mountains. They are very courageous. Uh, most of them are open to ideas and things like that. And I grew up as a, as a kid, as a Muslim. Uh, that's all what we had. There is no other choice we could uh, take from. We had only Islam and we picked the Islam and everybody had to be a Muslim, and I went to school, and they taught me Islam, and they taught me all the values and stuff. My father was a devout Muslim. My mother, uh, so uh, so it was with the with everybody else, and I couldn't uh, uh, imagine myself uh, to be anything else but a uh, Muslim. So. As a young kid, I grew up, I was happy. I had a great father, a wonderful mother, uh, siblings, wonderful. We had a very good uh, life. But when I got to teenage years, I started to ask existential questions about life, about uh, death. And I sought to the Quran to give me answers to those questions. And unfortunately, I was disappointed because it was void. And I couldn't find anything to grasp, anything really catchy, anything that would satisfy my thirst and my hunger. And uh, I start to ask questions, which uh, eventually for Muslims are a little bit shaky ground. We, we are not allowed to ask those questions. 
and you have to be brave and courageous to ask those questions. But I dared to I dared to the, ask those questions because I didn't calculate the impact of what may happen later. I just uh, was thirsty and I was looking, seeking the truth, and I was desperate for it. So, how did you eventually it, become a Christian? It's a story again. It's it's not an easy uh, decision one can make in a society where the society is bind to, is bind together. Uh, it's it's a family uh, kinship where everybody has uh, uh, something to say about the decision one would make because we cannot separate individuals from a family. We are just one unit, and the decision that I would make would, uh, of course, impact on the whole family and the whole tribe. Uh, I was on a journey, and I was on vacation in Germany, in Berlin, in 1983, on September. I ran into street preachers, and I've never seen people so uh, happy, smiling in one of the squares uh, in Kudam in Germany. And I was fascinated by the music, because eventually, for a Muslim, everything is closed down, nothing is open to for you know to foreign religion or anything like that but the only thing that was open to me that has influenced me was the music was the lyrics the songs and so forth so my soul was was actually open to the these melodies and these uh, these wonderful songs that have penetrated my soul and then I kind of softened in some some ways and that's the one of the steps that uh that had uh, opened my, the door to my heart. And uh, some people came to talk to me about Jesus. That was the first time I heard Jesus Christ, uh, his story and what he's done, what he achieved in the cro- on the cross. And I heard for the first time that Jesus loved me. And it was for me a kind of a necronism because he, I couldn't believe, I couldn't really consi- reconcile the time. How could Jesus 2,000 years ago who has come then and how he could love me today, 2,000 years later. I couldn't reconcile the two, but I just uh, assumed that it was a story. But of course, I was a resistant to the idea of embracing Christianity. Uh, those who uh, preached to me the gospel on the street invited me uh, over to the church on Sunday, which I declined. But uh, uh, I finally got, because, uh, got to the church because one of the members came to pick me up from where I was staying, and I ended up in the church on Sunday. It was rather rude the way uh, that person did that, but <laughs> but eventually I ended up in the church. The first time I entered into a sanctuary, I was shaking, I was af- afraid, I was scared. But that uh, person who preached to me the gospel added some seasoned my life with courage to enter a place where I haven't been in my life. Because it was a war that has been waged within my life, within my brain, what my parents would think if I, if they knew I entered the church. I mixed with Christians because for Muslims, they are infidels and so forth. So as I looked around, I crossed the line. I knew I crossed the line according to the Muslim precepts. So just, just entering a church would be something that would be crossing the line. Absolutely. Okay. That's so for me, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't know how I did it. Okay. For some reason, I end up in the church. How it was not my willingness to get to the church to mix with Christians, with you know, because they had a cross. You know, as Muslims, we loathed the cross because the cross is an offense to Muslims. 
But I ended up in this uh, atmosphere where I saw happiness. I saw people uh, singing, uh, most joyful. They approached me with uh, uh, with respect and they talked to me with uh, cheerful hearts. And for some time, I thought these either they are uh, angels or just they are faking it. But again, I realized for the first time I entered the church, the only thing I wished is the end of the service. But at the end of the service, the, the person who preached to me the gospel, actually it was a lady who preached to me the gospel in the streets. She came and asked me to go and see the pastor and ask him if he could pray for me. I declined. I said, no, I can't do this because the one thing that is the hardest in my life that I have done is coming to the church. But I will not go to see the pastor. First of all, I don't know him and I don't know what I can tell him. And of course, I resisted. But the, at the end, that lady took me to the pastor. Again, against my will, I ended up meeting the pastor. So and took, he let me. It took a lot of rude people to get you uh, to the church and to the pastor. Absolutely. I did everything in one shot, basically. But again, I, uh, everything I declined or I resisted, that person had the faith and the courage to take this Muslim to Christ. And I ended up basically in front of the pastor who who prayed over me and very nice, but I didn't know. I have never had any such experience in my life. So I didn't know what entitles, what what it meant at that time, what's going to happen to me and so forth. But one of the things that I realized today, if the faith of the lady and the courage take Muslim to Christ has the boldness and the courage to do so, is to present me in the foot of the cross. And that's where I faced Jesus. I didn't face really Jesus. I can tell now that I faced Jesus. But at the time I faced the pastor, I basically the radiance of Christ, the, the glowing face of Christ, I saw it in those people who represented Christ, their gentleness, their genuineness, their love, and so forth. Basically, it was a seed that has taken root at the time. And so how long did it take from then until you really gave your life to Jesus? It's a process that took maybe two or three years from uh, 1983 all the way to 1987. That was a radical change in my life. Again, this process has been, of course, a process where uh, I weighed the decision that I would make to follow Jesus and what it, it, what it meant to me and what it means it would mean for my family and so forth, and what are the risks. And eventually, I wished the Islam or the Quran could offer me something better, but I couldn't find it. The more I read, the more I was disappointed. It's not because of emotions or anything. I was really, really sincere with my faith. And I can tell you, only God's, uh, only God's spirit, only God's will will take me. And of course, there needs to be a dose of a good dose of courage for me to get to that point where I make the commitment to follow Jesus and to acknowledge that He's my Lord, that He died on the cross for me and for you know to deliver me from uh, my sinful nature and become His adopted son. And that decision, when I have made it, it was very clear. There was no shallow of any uh, any shadow of anything, any doubts or anything. I was it was just crystal clear for me that Jesus is the Son of God, and He came on earth to die on the cross 
for humanity for to save us and to redeem us and that was for me my you know my first love this is my life my new life this is my new journey and that has radically changed everything the way i think the way i walk the way i talk with people and so forth so almost of a sudden i loved everybody <laughs> so i want to talk about the risks a little bit is christianity illegal in algeria uh, in that, in my time, it was it was illegal, uh, illegal, and still illegal. And it was in nineteen uh, in two thousand six that Algeria has put together a package of laws and so forth. Where I don't know what, but they have uh, basically articulated in these articles in, that the a Christian shouldn't shake with the Muslim faith. That means you can't evangelize or anybody that would say, you know, that would accuse you of having spoken about Jesus or anything. And I was shaken and, and dismayed or some, something like that. Could be an offense where you could be taken into jail for five years and with a, with a large fine. Yeah, Christianity has always been illegal and it was not accepted uh, for Muslims to become uh, to become Christians. According to the Sharia law, a Muslim who converts to Christianity should die. So basically, you could go to prison for five years, and there's a risk of, of violence against you in Algeria if you became a Christian or if you tried to evangelize someone else to become a Christian. Absolutely. So the risk could be the family, uh, rejection from the family, imprisonment, uh, and also... Maybe with Muslim fundamentalists, they can, they can easily kill you because that, that's what this, uh, their scripture uh, have given them the right to kill Christians, especially if they are Muslims. So tell us about how your family reacted when you became a Christian. In the, in the beginnings, they didn't notice. They have uh, noticed uh, some changes in my life, uh, rather positive I started to like more people. I started to listen. I started to behave more like a Christian. <laughs> um, I ceased to be a hypocrite, although this is a human nature uh, that I had, you know, stopped to be a hypocrite. I started to love people and I started to be sincere with my uh, friends, with the family. I would not say it was, a, uh, it was made up, but it was really genuine because I wanted to really resemble uh, Christ. According to the scriptures, you know, the way he taught his disciples from the Gospels. I was fascinated by the person of Jesus. But eventually my father uh, noticed uh, the Bible in my room. And he told me one day that if I were truly a Christian, he would kill me. I was devastated because it was the only father I had. And I loved my father. But when he said this, I was, I was so sad. I don't think my father, whom I loved so much, and I'm sure uh, he would say the same thing, because it's difficult for uh, for somebody 18 years old to hear those words from the father. But I prayed, I asked God to give me the grace that nothing would happen. And eventually my relationship grew with my father uh, positively. And I was able to say for the first time to my dad that I loved him because in, in North Africa, we don't express emotions between fathers, between the fathers and sons and uh, mothers and sons as well. So I prayed and asked God to give me the courage to say to my dad, I love you, my dad. 
eventually, though, the risks to you were so great that you ended up leaving Algeria. Yes. And so where did you go after Algeria? I went to, to keep the story short, uh, although it's fascinating and entertaining. Uh, but I left Algeria to go to Holland, where I uh, went to study theology because I started to be interested uh, about God and serving God, and I thought I need to I needed to be equipped. And I went to Holland and I studied in a seminary there for three years. Again, uh, the, Holland is flat. You know, it's completely flat. In North Africa, in Algeria, it's, it's mountainous and there, there are jungles and everywhere. And I grew up in this, in this environment where I love to be in a jungle and mountains, trees, rivers. In Holland, it's all flat and everything is so well organized. And I really got depressed because I couldn't see the mountains anymore. So uh, I couldn't see, you know, the jungle. Everything is so, so well organized. So being uprooted, you know, uh, uprooted from Algeria and uh, to be in uh, in Holland has been very difficult. And I have prayed day and night, asking God, asking God to give me the grace to uh, to be accustomed to the to Holland and the way they eat, the way they they do things. And eventually, after I made friends, the Lord has been very, very. Uh, nice to me. God has been very good to me all the way through his faithfulness. And uh, I took all those risks because I knew Jesus was real. Uh, but uh, until I took the journey, I started the step. I never knew that Jesus will take me through all this. But I personally can witness that no one day has, has the Lord failed me. Never. And so somewhere along this journey, you met your wife. So tell me how you met her. Right. I finished my studies after three years. I joined the mission organization in, uh, in England. And then I left for missions in France, in northern part of France. And that's where I met my wife. My wife is blonde. I've never met a blonde, you know, uh, in Algeria, but I thought, well, and we got along very well. I met her in the church, and I uh, invited her to go to have a bite in a McDonald's. And uh, we shared, we talked after a prayer meeting in a church, kind of relaxed a little bit, and then we talked, and and we get acquainted, and we uh, we carried on uh, knowing each other, and we've been uh, good friends, praying for each other, and uh, eventually uh, we both got married. We since God was calling us to get together and the Lord has blessed us through our relationship. She is French, she's blonde, I'm North African, you know, uh, brown skin, different, you know, she likes the, when it's hot, I like when it's cold. Everything is different. Everything is opposite between us, but the Lord is, is the, uh, is the, is the one that brought us together and we have Christ in common and all the differences almost dissipated and just, uh, you know, and we've uh, we have uh, four uh, boys. The oldest is uh, is nineteen. The youngest is uh, is nine. It's a, just a wonderful journey with the Lord. And um, yeah, how amazing! And amazing. Uh, amazing how God can make the differences joyful. Absolutely. So you eventually helped start a TV network to reach people in North Africa. So tell us a little bit about that. When did you start that? 
Uh, initially, I was involved uh, in evangelism in the northern part of France, and I was involved internationally with other leaders who have been involved in TV, in radio, in uh, translations of the Bible into different languages. And of course, I was involved in the translation of the Bible into my own language, which is Kabil. But also I was involved in scripting and writing scenarios and different things and and interviewing people in the street in Paris and Holland in England, asking about uh, what they knew about Jesus. And I was I was shocked to realize, you know, that people didn't know anything about Jesus. And of course, we got those shows. You know, we uh, we made them into shows, and of course, they would put them on air, and people responded. Of course, we. Uh, made those shows uh, specifically for Muslims, and of course using Arabic or using Kabyle, uh, the languages of North Africa, colloquial Arabic, and it spoke to many, many people. And of course, most people at that time, in the beginning, responded uh, very negatively, uh, accusing us, accusing me, accusing my colleagues, uh, insulting us, threatening us, but we have never gave up. So that, that atmosphere of using some shows here and there, uh, showing them on different TVs, convinced me that portraying the Lord's story through a different, uh, different communication skills, using the indigenous language, spoken, that spoken highly uh, and favorably to the hearts of people, North Africans. And a lot of people start to ask questions and be interested. So that led me to think that if we had a TV network, we could possibly enter into the homes of people and speak to each one of them about the love of Jesus. And so what countries were you trying to reach? Which people? Which countries? Well, all North Africans, we... Uh, we had different languages that we picked. We started with, this, you know, major languages or gateway languages like Arabic, like colloquial Moroccan, colloquial Algerian, colloquial Tunisian, and then using some French because most North Africans speak uh, speak French, especially the intellectuals. So we tried to portray this story through these languages so that people could really uh, uh, fathom, uh, understand the story, but also to speak to their hearts. As we knocked into their hearts by those words that they have heard with the voice of a North African, it it spoke really volume and that truth has uh, prevailed in uh, in the hearts of people. And of course, the fact that North Africans can present those stories, if of course it had worked for us, it had worked for them. So that's where we had the, I had the conviction that we need the network that would storm all North African population and give the possibility, although it costs, you know, the satellite costs uh, a lot of money, but we, it was a leap of faith. Uh, we started almost with nothing, but the Lord had made it grow, but it was worth it because thousands of people have come to know Christ. And the channel has really become like a, the face of Jesus in North Africa, because that's the only thing we had and we offered them. And it was, uh, um, again, it's God's given opportunity in a time where technology has made things different. And so how did these governments in North Africa react to this TV network? 
Well, of course, they were not happy. They couldn't stop it because it comes from the sky. Yeah? Salvation comes from above, from heaven. It, it fell on them just as like as a surprise. A lot of people had uh, satellite dishes in North Africa. It's like mushrooms all over the place. So when the government has realized that it was losing ground because a lot of people were, give, were giving their lives to Christ, and small groups and small churches started to blossom. It's just like a flower in the spring. You know, it's just we had the hard time. We had the civil war and so forth. In, in, uh, uh, we had unrest for some time. And when these churches started to blossom, it was during the hard times that the, the harvest was ripe. And then we had the team. I have never planned this. I just happened to have, you know, my voice. I happened to have my life to offer it to Christ. And the Lord really blessed, not just only um, other blessed, the, you know, the people, but I myself, when I heard the testimonies, I was extremely blessed. I was extremely encouraged. And also uh, people started to, you know, uh, to tell us how wonderful was the message how wonderful uh, has Jesus has become to them uh, as, a, as a savior. So those testimonies has given us boldness and courage to continue. That's the kind of the fuel for us to continue the work. Um, and so it sounds like you've had a lot of success reaching people. Uh, and I know you were saying Christianity is, in Al- is illegal in Algeria, but for some of these other countries as well in North Africa, what are the risks that people face if they decide to basically become Christians? The risks are uh, numerous. They can be disowned. They can be killed. They can be beaten. Some of them today are in prison because they have shared the gospel. Uh, some of them, um, one friend just recently has been um, in jail. Uh, the, the sentence was five years is just because he's, uh, shared the gospel with two guys, and he took them to church. Uh, and he, just for that, he is taken to jail for five years. And uh, this friend um, uh, had his wife taken away from him, his kids taken away. It's not; it doesn't happen all the time. But you have, you know, uh, uh, several cases where people had the risk. These risk. But uh, when we talk to them, the, it's not because they want to be in jail. It's, uh, most of them are young in their uh, 20s, 30s. I admire them because it's not easy. Uh, we are talking about courage, and I think without the courage, and this courage doesn't come by itself. It comes by the truth because Jesus is with them. Because Jesus said, I will be with you. Uh, don't be afraid. I will be with you. I think. I don't see anybody who would wish to go to jail and to be disowned and be in a cell. I have been in a cell myself. I have been in prison myself. Tell, tell us that uh, story because you, uh, I'm trying to remember which country you went to where they did um, arrest you for a period of time. Yeah, it was Algeria. It was under arrest warrant, an arrest warrant. Uh, I, did, I, I never wanted to go back. Uh, but when my mother and father uh, called me, Said, so does this mean that you are not coming to see us even if we, if we die someday? I said, my, I said to them, unfortunately, maybe not, but we are going to see each other in heaven. My parents were devastated. 
I loved my parents. They loved me. Uh, I had a lot in common, as I said before, with uh, with my dad. I our relationship completely changed. I have witnessed to my dad, but he's never acknowledged Christ as uh, as his savior and his Lord. But he did hear the 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 hope that I had in Jesus. I prayed with him. We took hands, but when. Uh, uh, emotionally, I was drained because I knew uh, I loved my parents. Somehow, there was a friend who called me to keep the story short, and he wanted to help me, but I didn't know what he he could help me with. But eventually, when I went to Algeria, because he suggested that I should go sometime uh, in December, because it was the time it was uh, around October, so he said he suggested to me that I will enter Algeria sometime in December, but it should be the last week of December. And I happened to, of course, I happened to be the first week of December that time in 2013. It was Christmas Eve. So it was Sunday, Christmas Eve was was a Sunday. And uh, I I flew into Algeria with the first flight, which uh, got me there at uh, 10 a.m. And I was arrested at the uh, the border, and I was taken to jail, handcuffed, and they took all the pictures, and they took me to the headquarters of uh, the police headquarters, and I was questioned. And uh, that night, I spent it in the jail. I had uh, uh, four roommates. I had uh, one terrorist, two R- drug addict, and one roommates is a nice way to describe it in prison. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's absolutely crazy because I'm not somebody with a life, with a crazy life where I could, you know, go to jail because I did something. Or So two things. Uh, one of the things that I, I've never thought of my freedom until it was ripped out of me. I was ripped off my freedom because in that cell, I knew I couldn't go to the restroom. I could, there was nothing I could do for myself. I had all this new TV network. I had all these workers. I had ministry. I was about today. I was I was completely lost. I wondered whether I did a, a good decision to come to Algeria, and I was wondering. I was trying to remember the story of uh, Paul and Silas when they were in prison. I tried to sing, but I couldn't. The words can come through my throat. Stuck, you know, they stuck. And uh, those roommates, of course, uh, as I said, one of them was uh, uh, a terrorist. Another one, uh, two others, sorry, the two others were uh, dr- uh, drug dealers. And another one was uh, um, uh, a weapon smuggler and a Christian. So I tried to share with them, but they were snoring that night. They were sleeping as if they were at their homes, but I was restless. I was absolutely restless. They, they were used to being in jail, I guess. I guess, yes. So but be- I told, I, I shared with them, and uh, the you know they kind of uh, listened. They didn't listen. Uh, we couldn't eat any food because the food was not. <laughs> it's just uh, not food. You know the the bread they were we were given was maybe four days ago, and it was all you know. It's not it's not bread anymore. So at that time, I realized that the freedom, the gift of freedom God has given us is worth everything. That's where I thank God. I said, God, this freedom is is wonderful. I've never thought of that freedom we have today 
as you, for example, as Americans, you have freedom, but you don't really realize how much it's worth. So that day that I spent Christmas Eve on, in, in the cell, of course, as I said, I tried to sing hymns I couldn't, but I had to speak loudly and say, Jesus, Jesus, give me the courage today to say that I will serve you whether in when you gave me freedom or whether I was ripped out of my freedom. That courage for me is your presence. I need you desperately. And then I cannot be relaxed. I, I needed to hear even the words that I had to say because, because I needed to encourage myself. And I have kind of a, uh, gone back on, on the top of things because I, I said to God, uh, I will continue to serve you whether here or anywhere else, whether with the freedom or without my free, the freedom. And that I became a little, a little, you know, the burden became a little lighter. And of course, the next day I was, I was released from that prison. So you didn't know you were going to be released? No, they could do anything with me. I have never had any idea of what may happen to me. The next day when I was, I was not released, but I was taken in an armor van, you know, handcuffed again to transfer me to another location. So I had no idea what's going to happen to me. Their plan or whether it's fair justice or not fair justice, I had no clue. So when I, tra- I, tra- I was transferred with two other prisoners, and the two of them had criminal rec- records, and one of them was telling me the story that he, he used to play with, with swords. So he was, uh, he was fighting with somebody with the swords and he killed uh, them. So he was, tra- he was being transferred to another location. And I thought they were transferring me to another location too. And with this criminal, what am I going to do? And, I said, and he told me, he said, what did you kill? I said, I never killed anybody, but, <laughs> but uh, I'm uh, sharing the gospel. I'm sharing the good news. He didn't understand much of the, the story because it was... Uh, uh, unfamiliar to him, and he, the concept of uh, salvation is not really picking up in his mind. And so you were literally uh, being transferred with a murderer, uh, and yeah. yet you were set free at the end. Yes. I, I, when I got, they dropped me at the location to transfer me to another police department where I'm originally from, and uh, the police then transferred me to the court, to the attorney general. And this attorney general, of course, uh, when he approached me, said, release this man, release this man, uh, take off the handcuffs and so forth. And, see, and he hugged me. The t- attorney general approached me and he hugged me and he was whispering in my ear and said, I'm so sorry for all this hassle, all these problems that, that, that happened to you. And he took me to his, court, to his office and he introduced me. I couldn't believe the, you know, this situation. Here I'm a prisoner. Here I'm handcuffed in railway, and I'm a friend of the attorney general. And uh, one of the things that has astonished me, he said, "I would like to be a friend with you," and he tell me the story as he was spreading with my in my ear. I couldn't, you know, just uh, I couldn't really understand what uh, what's going on. Only God could do that. Only God can do that. And of course, eventually, uh, with a sense of humor, I said to God, please don't have me to go to jail to witness to Tony Jones. Just let me know where you go and do it. But again, I think, I don't think it would be a nice story just to go to jail. But after the, 
living in jail for one day is, is a little too long for somebody who is not accustomed to it. But it's even um, it's even harder when you don't know what's going to happen to you, especially in the country where there is no justice in such a way, because we don't really trust the the the, the court to do really, uh, its work justly. So yeah, the uncertainty so of it is just incredibly stressful. Absolutely. So the fact that I was uh, released with the attorney general, and yes, he seemed to be very, he seemed at the time to be very sincere, and he was really sincere, I discovered later, and because he opened the door for me to share the gospel, and he wanted to see me several times, and we've become very friends. Unfortunately, so, he passed away. And of course, I have met the person who promised that he would help me. And of course, he knew this attorney general, and he witnessed to him, and the the man happened. The man who helped me happened to be in the uh, in the government, so he had access to the documents, you know, to the files and so forth. So that's the reason when he, uh, he asked me to give him my ID, and then he realized that my files, you know, my accusations was not, you know, uh, doesn't have any charges. Gotcha. So this other man. Uh, talk to the attorney general on your behalf, and that ultimately led to your release. That, absolutely. That's that's what happened. Wow, that's an amazing that's, that's story. Providence. Yeah. So I want to just switch gears for a second. Uh, in addition to this TV network, you've been involved in starting to plant churches in North Africa. And so I'm just curious, how do you even start planting a church when there are so few Christians there? It was God's design eventually. I've never planted churches in my life and never, I never thought of Christianity. It's a process of uh, witnessing. And of course, I was educated on, on all those uh, you know, issues and process. And I started to understand the Gospels and I started to understand the, the scriptures, especially the, the letters, the letters of Paul, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, has been one of my favorite, inspiring to me, and I start to understand God's story. Because that's where I picked up. I said, well, I read the Bible several times. I've never occurred to me that the gospel actually started from Genesis. Because with Abraham, he gave him a promise that he will bless his seed and he will bless the nations through him and through Christ. So the storyline, when it started with, with this, you know, when we read the Bible, because we don't know, we dismiss sometimes the Old Testament because we are just happy with what Christ. But actually, the New Testament is rooted with the Old Testament. And the fact that I read the story and understood God's plan for humanity, for the redeemed nations or the old nations, it gave me the desire and the flavor and the courage to move with that move with the same be part of it. It's a, you know, it's a procession of godly men and godly women that walked through and passing on the truth to others. But we are not just only evangelizing, but we are nurturing people to grow, but also to be God's family, to love each other, to take care of each other, to help the poor. And wherever we may be, we are one nation to glorify God with the destiny that someday we will end up worshiping him in eternity. So that's the re reason why 
how we can do it while we're on earth. And of course, as we preach the gospel, we bring the, the believers together to get to know each other, to, to admonish one another, to help each other. And as we bring them together in Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians, of course, I had I love reading those uh, those scriptures where it says uh, the the leaders are uh, in the church so that they would uh, uh, they would equip the other members of the church so that they grow up together. So also in the book of Ephesians and other places as well in the Bible where it says now the Jews and the uh, and and the Gentiles are one family. They have the same inheritance. So that reconciliation with God that brought the reconciliation with one another brings us back, back to God and to be one family to love each other and to to praise God, our Father. And that really, uh, it's a fire in my heart. I can't really stop it. It's, it's in my DNA. It's in my nature. I love Jesus. I love people because... Uh, instead of looking at people because they do all all bad things, instead of hating them or uh, beating them or insulting them, uh, I see the face the face of God in in every face. I see the image of God in every face, and that needs to be re- redeemed and not uh, smashed, not crashed, but to be redeemed so that it would radiate someday, hopefully, with the prayer with the love that God has given. There is nothing we could do by our power, but the Holy Spirit, we are doing this in in faith that God may give us the grace to bring as many as we can to his kingdom. Well, it's an amazing ministry and an amazing story of just uh, the risk you faced and the way that God has delivered you and the way that God has used you to reach so many people through both this TV network and the church planting what I want to know is if people wanted to support your ministry, how could they do that? If they can support our ministry, they could either uh, get in touch with uh, SRG, srg.org, or uh, there are two groups, SRG or Build International, Build.org. These two organizations that I'm working with, they know me. We have a relationship. We have a partnership for that has been going for years, and they know our ministry. They can get whatever uh, they need for information, for a profile of the countries and what's going on there. So they can inquire any anything. They can get all the information they need. So srg.org, which is Strategic Resource Group, and build.org, which is Builder International, and I'll put both of those in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Terrific. Well, Ali, thanks so much for sharing your story and for your ministry and just your heart to reach people who are unreached. Thank you, Paul, and may this uh, story bless uh, all those who who hear this story, and I pray for God's blessing over them, and may the Lord continue to use them for God's glory. The Biblical Courage Podcast is supported by listeners. You can support us by going to biblicalcourage.com. While you're there, you can also sign up to receive our newsletter. That's biblicalcourage.com. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you didn't like the podcast, you probably just weren't listening.